right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson, and with me is Nick Springer. Hey! Coming at the tempo there. Uh, we were brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery today. We're going to be breaking down KU's win last night, dominant outing against Oklahoma State. Be joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com at 340. Our mailbag coming up at 405. So you still got a little bit of time to get any questions in. Hit us up on our Twitter X page at RCST1320. You can DM us, you can tweet at us, you can reply to one of our tweets, whatever it is. Uh, you can also email us, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. Um, so plenty to talk about today with some KU hoops and the Jayhawks come out on top. Uh, just a dominant outing over Oklahoma State last night. It was, uh, I think, like 12 to 10 at one point, And Oklahoma State never led in the game, to be clear. It was yeah. a game that Kansas led for, I, th- I think it was 39 minutes and like 30 seconds of game time. So like Kansas was basically in, in charge of the whole way. It was a little bit close to the first five minutes, but it kind of always is because it kind of has to be with the score developing. <laughs> And then from there, it was just never really a contest. KU, you know, boat raced them at the end of the first half, and then yep. they ended up gliding to the finish line here. So really impressive effort. And, yes, Oklahoma State's not a very good team. Um, the more I come away from this game where KU swept Oklahoma State and won Those, both yeah. games by over 20. Those boys are terrible. Yes, uh, that is certainly the case. Um, but when you went into the game. There was some where, drama going into Yeah, the- there was. You, you were 16-point favorite, 15-point favorite, and – Kevin McCuller all of a sudden was not warming up. He was not practicing leading up to the game. And then soon to find out that Kevin McCuller's not going to be going in the game. And, and that did lead to some drama. And it would have been very easy to win a game like this for a team without Kevin McCuller, their Big 12 Player of the Year candidate, I, I guess their top candidate, maybe the top candidate across the conference, for him not to play on a team that is not very deep to have won this game by 8, 10, 12 points. Where it's like, yeah, they still found a way to win, but it was closer than you'd expect. Knowing all that, this is not going to be one of KU's you know best wins of the year, but certainly by the performance and by what it allowed you to do without Kevin, there are some positives that you can take away from this one, and that's kind of where I want to start here. With Kevin McCuller out, it was a question of, okay, what what is this going to look like? Who's going to take over on offense? Are the other guys going to step up a little bit more? You end up getting Marco Jackson entering the starting lineup. And I think there were some mixed moments with El Marco. Like, the, there were maybe a couple defensive plays. There was, you know, maybe some drives where it was just kind of more of the same, where it was like, hey, I'm just going to drive for no reason, stop and kick, and it's just going to, you know, use up some clock. There were um, some turnovers that he had. Like, he had the one turnover where he threw it into, like, a triple team to Hunter Dickinson that led to a run out the other way. Yeah. Maybe a dumb foul here or there. But overall, there were a lot of good experiences. There were a lot of good plays for El Marco Jackson, too. He hits the two threes, which I think you could probably argue – okay, would we be sitting here today saying he played well if he wasn't hitting the two threes, if he went one of two from three, if he went over two from three? I don't know the answer to that. But there were still other times that he was aggressive, that he got downhill, he looked for a shot on the inside, which to me that's the biggest thing Marco Jackson can do. 
you don't need to come in and feel like you need to replace Dewan Harris as a backup point guard. You don't need to feel like you need to come in and be this defensive stopper. Just come in and use your athleticism and get downhill. Get to yeah. the rim. You're you're yeah. fast. You're quick. You're you're explosive driving to the rim. Like do that. So when you look at what El Marco did, when you look at the extended role, the extended playing time that you were able to get for the bench, and even though El Marco started in this game for future purposes, he is a bench player. It wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, but it was nice to have the extra reps, maybe some extra confidence given to all the guys who came off the bench in this game. Yeah, I mean, listen, with Kevin McCuller, you've got one of the best starting five in the entire country. So anytime you have a guy coming off the bench, whether it's El Marco, Parker Brown, Nick Timberlake, Jamari McDowell, one of those guys, you're not asking those guys to come in and make a significant scoring impact, generally speaking. You're just asking them to come in and and do your and do your job right do do your job uh, in terms of getting w- keeping the game where it needs to be so you can bring back in your starters because obviously the starters are the strength of this team but it was nice to see El Marco get some extended run and and you're right I mean all things considered I think it was definitely a positive for him he scores double figures you know this is a guy that in conference play since kind of losing the starting role or even when he was starting in conference play he was averaging like two points a game and was really not making much of an impact and didn't really seem to be really connected to the game at all. So it was nice to see him at least come in and, and, and have that. Uh, and listen, we, you know, no Kevin McCuller to start the game, or you find that out during warmups, and I'd be lying if I wasn't, that didn't make me a little bit more concerned about the game, right? I mean, you're talking about a team that has literally nine scholarship players, and you lose Kevin McCuller, who is one of your veteran leaders, one of your top scorers, as you said, one of your top Big 12 Player of the Year candidates uh, on somewhat short notice. Now, I do wonder maybe if, if Kansas – kind of knew that Kevin McCuller wasn't going to play or obviously sooner than that then it kind of came out but uh but but yeah you lose that guy you're down to you're down another scholarship player when you already don't have a lot it, it it's hard for me to say that I wasn't a little bit concerned but then Oklahoma State unfortunately loses Bryce Thompson pretty early in the game as well so they kind of lose one of their top scorers and a guy that has consistently been a great player against Kansas specifically uh early in the game so that certainly probably took some wind out of their sails and Kansas, I thought, did a good job of setting the tone early. You got the only three from Dewan Harris right out the gate that really seemed to kind of establish, okay, this is going to be a game where Dewan Harris is going to be a little bit more aggressive. He finishes with 12 points, solid game for him, seven assists, only one turnover, uh, and he played pretty well. And and that really kind of, I think, set the tone for the game. And then going forward, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State, those boys stink. <laughs> I mean, they are bad. They are not good. Uh, I mentioned this after the Oklahoma State loss uh, that Kansas, when Kansas beat them in in Stillwater, the Mike Boynton era in Oklahoma State's got to be coming to a close. Well, now that's even more reinforced by the fact that they just got blasted again by Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. They don't have very many more winnable games left in their schedule. Uh, in fact, they may not have any more winnable games. They might have to try to steal one or two if they can. But uh, for so I, I don't know if you can have any really significant grandiose takeaways from Kansas's play because of the fact that. This is clearly an Oklahoma State team that is by far the worst in the conference, uh, and then they lost one of their top players in this game. I know you were playing without one of your top players if you're Kansas, but but for Oklahoma State to lose one of their top players and for you to do what you did, very impressive. Uh, KJ Adams was phenomenal in the game, seven for seven from the floor. Uh, really, really great job from him. Uh, Hunter Dickinson kind of just did what he always does, right? Double double machine went out and and performed well. Johnny Furphy, uh, this was his first time scoring less than 13 points since he started. But it wasn't a bad performance by him by any stretch of the word, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. So that was nice to see. You mentioned El Marco. 
Uh, and then the other big takeaway, the other big takeaway was just Nick Timberlake's continued struggles from three, which was just really a bummer to see because he had some wide open looks. I mean, we're talking, I don't even know how he got so wide open on some of those. I mean, maybe Oklahoma State scouting report was, hey, this dude sucks. <laughs> don't, don't guard him from three, which if that's the case, it would have been a correct scouting report apparently. So that's a bit unfortunate. But, but yeah, really nice win for Kansas. Uh, you know, this was the game where we, we kind of talked about how this is this this game is a is a break point for KU in their schedule because now that that game is in the rearview mirror, going forward, you you have now officially turned the page into what is going to be by far the toughest stretch of your schedule coming up, and it starts with Houston on Saturday. And so you really wanted to have a nice performance against Oklahoma State and feel like you had some confidence built up going into the game against Houston, especially after losing on the road in a couple of games the way you've lost you know, with West Virginia and then uh, losing the Iowa State game. So this is kind of exactly what Kansas needed. They get they get a nice win, and they have a chance to really rest up. You know, you didn't play Kevin McCuller. Hopefully that means he's good to go for, for the Houston game. And uh, Kansas can kind of rest up a little bit and, mm-hmm. and get ready for this tough stretch. Yeah, and that becomes the biggest question to me with, with Kevin, um, if he will be fully rested for the Houston game. Because – I, I would be interested if KU was playing, say, Houston tonight. Like, if KU was playing Baylor or Houston or, or one of these top teams. Would Kevin McCuller have said, no, screw it, I'm playing. I don't care that I'm uh, – Bill Self said he was 50%, 60% after the game. Would he have still played through it? I don't he know. probably would have played a question. little bit, I would think. It wouldn't have shocked me, for sure. Um, so that I becomes – I think it's pretty obvious that he was already playing through it, right? I mean, it yeah. sounds like this is an injury that maybe occurred – even like before Iowa State, even beyond that, which which maybe you look back at some of his efficiency numbers, which we were kind of getting on him for his efficiency numbers, maybe he's been playing through this injury for the past two or three games, which would explain why maybe he's gone 5 of 17, 5 of 18 from, from the field for these past couple of games. Mm-hmm. And so I, I 100% agree with that. Like maybe you lose explosiveness and some stuff that, you know, maybe there is reason to believe that's the case. Now there's two ways you can come off of that. You can say, okay, now he got a game off. He's going to be a little bit more rested should be back to normal Kevin, and you're going to be good to go. The other way of viewing it, though, is 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 it really going to fully heal by the time you play again against Houston? Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. So I've never had a bone bruise in my knee. I was gonna say, obviously, neither one of us are doctors. Right. But, but a bone bruise, what does that even mean? Uh, I mean, obviously, the bone itself can't actually get. Maybe it's just yeah, a bruise. Yeah, how do you get a bruised is, bone? I think it's just like a bruise on the interior that happens to be like touching the bone, and it's very uncomfortable and sore I, and, I have no and idea. sucks. And that's the thing when you play Houston. Houston is like the most physical team in the country. Yeah. So I mean, listen, I I had an experience about four or five years ago with one too many drinks where my knee really hurt, but that was not from being playing basketball. Mm-hmm. It was something else. But uh, I don't know what I did to it. I mean, I never went to a doctor, I guess, and that, I guess that's my fault. But yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, how and I mean, the I wonder if you know the fact that going back to the Iowa State game, I think it's safe to assume it must have been bothering him then. Right. I think. Well, that's kind of where I'm but at. But he still I, played over 30 minutes in that game. But that's kind of my point. Like, I feel Maybe like... Maybe it got worse from that I game? Feel like, yeah, it could, too, because that, that's the thing. Sometimes things swell, but, like, that kind of makes me think he would have gone if it was Houston. So, that gives me a little bit more hope. But, yeah, my, my worry is that, does this force Kevin to be not as good of a player moving forward the rest of the season? Right? Is he ever going to be 100% this season? Is it well, an injury that's going to get better with time? Is it an injury that's going to stay the same if you keep playing through it? Yeah. Those well, are all questions, unfortunately, right? one of the issues with Kevin McCuller over his career has been injuries. Even beyond Kansas, going back to Texas Tech, it's, it's been injuries, right? He's, I, don't, I don't think he's, 
I don't think he's had a full season where he hasn't dealt with some sort no. of injury. Or one, he's or missed one. at least two games every season. Yeah. And last yeah. year was the two games, and that was, like, his best, right? Yeah. And even then, there were, like, and the, I mean, there were other games where he played say, half the game and had yeah. to leave, like, in the Big 12 tournament. There's probably you know? half a dozen other games where he was definitely not 100%, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so that, that's that got to be cause for concern, especially yeah. when you couple in the factor, the fact that, we, as we've already talked about, Kansas only has nine scholarship players. They have a very short bench. So if if your starting five is not 100% if you're Kansas, that is cause for concern, mm-hmm. cause for alarm. You know, even Hunter Dickinson looked like he might have been dealing with something as well. You know, he, he had a, a knee issue, remember, going back, and he wouldn't say which knee it was, which was kind of funny, but... But uh, so that that is cause for concern, right? Because you're now heading into the gauntlet of your schedule in February. And you already have one guy that seems like he's banged up. Who knows what other guys might be dealing with. And you don't have a deep bench. You don't have anybody you can really turn to to rely on. That's definitely concerning. And I'm sure that, you know, a guy like Kevin, is, is he, he wants to, he's a tough, tough player, really tough player. And he's going to be playing through it if he can against the likes of Houston, Kansas State, Baylor, which is some of the games they have coming up. But that you have to be worried about that long term. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's my question: is are we just going to see an eighty percent Kevin McCuller the rest of the way? Because that would obviously be a, a huge negative for uh, KU. We also got strong performances from KJ Adams and Dewan Harris. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see the rebounding numbers go back up for KJ where they were a few weeks ago because that was only two, but six assists was really good in transition, really good offensive threat. It wasn't just him throwing down dunks, which he did have like three of them on alley-oops, yep. but it, it was him hitting that little push shot, hitting the mid-range shot, little bit of everything for KJ. You needed other guys to step up, and that's the thing that I really liked about Dewan is that he had an understanding from the get-go of, hey, Kevin McCuller's out tonight. Yeah, I might need to score in double figures tonight, and he ended up getting 12 points. He Think was about efficient. It. I mean, the three to start the game. First shot of the game. Set right? the tone, right? Yep, 100%. I agree with that. And that's what I feel. I mean, you need Dewan Harris playing well for you to be at your maximum, and you feel like this is now a run where we thought he played really well last game, thought he played really well this game. Yeah. You hope that can continue on. And, and I mean, we're, we're going to have more time to talk the Houston game, but just to look ahead real quick to that, I don't think Kansas can win without Dewan Harris playing well against Houston for a couple reasons. One, Houston forced a lot of turnovers. Yeah. Two, Houston has Jabal Shedd, yeah, who I mean, is... Yeah, strength is Jamal Shedd yeah. and LJ Cryer. Yeah, right? and, and Shedd is is maybe the Big 12 defensive player of the year front runner right now, and he would be in the race for Big 12 defense, or Big Twelve overall player of the year. I know that the stats don't jump off the page, but they play a really slow tempo, and there are yeah. a lot of reasons why that would be the case. But, like, he's an excellent player. And so if Dewan Harris doesn't bring it and match what Shedd is bringing to the table then it might be game over for Kansas. So the fact that he's playing well coming into that game makes me feel better. Yeah, you go back to Kansas' loss against Marquette. I know that was a while ago, but that was the game in which Tyler Kolek was the better point guard, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're Kansas and you continue to believe that Dewan Harris is one of the top point guards in the country, which I I think you can still kind of assume that, you, you expect to have the edge in that matchup against your opponent. And the game against Houston coming up, as you alluded to, could be a game where... It, it might be more of a, a, a toss-up as to who gets the edge there. And so, I, yeah, I think you will need a game from DeJuan Harris will he be, where he'll be kind of playing playing at his best, right? And, and I've been – recently over this past week or so, I've been a guy who's who's been wanting to, to give DeJuan Harris more credit because of the fact that he took a lot of flack when KU's offense was struggling, and I think he deserves to be recognized when he plays well and when, the KU, when KU's offense does perform well, uh, like they did against Oklahoma State, but – Going from playing at Oklahoma State to Houston is obviously a very 
very significant <laughs> jump. <laughs> and so DeWan will definitely have to be locked in for that game. For sure. Uh, there's a lot of interesting matchups throughout that game. But, but yeah, just to kind of wrap up the thought on Oklahoma State, it was a game in which you're playing the worst team in the conference at home. You expected to beat them. You did. You beat them very easily. It was a fun game. You got an alley-oop to Wilder Evers, uh, Evers at the end of the game. You got Michael Jankovic hitting a the three. They got the crowd on their feet. So all in all, I think it, the game against Oklahoma State went about as good as you could ask for if you're Kansas, especially considering you had no Kevin McCuller in the game. You know, Marco Jackson got a little more, a little bit more playing time. I think Nick Timberlake's the only guy where you look at it and say, eh, okay, that's kind of cause for concern. But other than that, you know, it was a, a really solid win and one that you expected to get. And now you can turn your full attention to this upcoming slate of games that I don't want to feel like we're kind of overstating it, but it really is this next basically five, six games. It's, it's, it's going to be an absolute war night in and night out. Yeah. It, this is the gauntlet upcoming here. I mean, we, we've talked a lot about it. We, we talked a lot about it at the beginning of conference play. We've talked a lot about it over the course of it. You might be tired of, of hearing us talk about it and mentioning the schedule, but, um, and I guess now that we're actually here, because we did say when when the year started, we said, okay, it looks bad now. Maybe one or two of these teams end up being not as good as you think. Well, let's go over it now. Versus Houston on Saturday, they might be even better than we thought. I mean, we, yeah. I, I thought they were one of the best teams in the country, but they might be the best team in the country. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Kansas State on the road. I think Kansas State is probably worse than I thought. They are down. Yeah. But uh, still playing the there like on the road, two, right? But yeah, it's, it's K-State, obviously. Yeah. Uh, versus Baylor. Baylor might be a little worse than I thought, but they're still top 25 team. Yeah. Still a team you feel like can go out and beat anybody. At Texas Tech, Tech's better than I thought. Yeah. Oklahoma on the road. OU is, is better than it's, I thought. Yeah. The I would say started. they're better. They're definitely better than what we thought with the season before the season started. When conference play started, I w- maybe. I was a little yeah. tepid about them overall, mm-hmm. but uh, they got a big win, obviously, last night against Kansas State. So I... I feel like they're probably a little bit better mm-hmm. still. Uh, versus Texas, I the way that they've played over the last three or four games makes me think Texas actually could be pretty good, but they're they're still kind of a wait and see for me because yeah. the non-con was not very good for them. Yeah. Uh, versus BYU, obviously, you know they're having a really good year at Baylor. Same they can get hot. Versus K State, and then at Houston, like that that is an insanely difficult part of the schedule. Yeah. If you could guarantee right now they go six and four in those ten games, do you take it or roll the dice? So six and four would put them at, at eleven and eleven seven, and which seven. probably doesn't win the league. Oh boy! But it also guarantees you you're probably getting like a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. Now with with Bill Self, I think you got to roll the dice because you do have to acknowledge there is the possibility you go four and six or five and five in no, there too, I, right? I know. No, I know. we've talked about. It. I mean, uh, okay, Ken, what if Ken I Palm, Ken Palm says KU is going to go ten and eight? Yeah. What Nick, if I what Nick if Palm I says KU is going to be better than that? But. What if I guaranteed you seven and three in the final ten? I would take that. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd almost have to. With I mean, point. twelve and six could win the league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you'd almost have to take that. I would think because it is such a difficult stretch. Mm-hmm. But dude, I don't know, man. With with Bill Self, you're tempted to just say, "Screw it, let's see what happens." Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you can go nine and one in that stretch. I mean, you're you're it's Bill Self. I mean, let's let's be honest. But the, again, this is a team that does not have a lot of depth. They have a couple players that are clearly banged up already as it is before we even start this stretch. I mean, just think about the fact that you're going to be playing Houston on Saturday afternoon and then turn around and go into K-State on Monday. Mm -hmm. I mean, that in and of itself is very difficult. So, Well, the biggest thing about all this is right before you hit that gauntlet, you were looking for a bounce-back win. You got it. You were looking for an easy win. You got it. You were looking to play into the bench a little bit more. You got it both because of the score and because of the Kevin McCuller injury. 
And, uh, and it was nice to have a another win that you could just kind of breathe in the final half of the game. And Oklahoma State stinks. <laughs> they are. I mean, they they legitimately might go like two and sixteen in conference. They really might, especially now that Bryce Thompson's hurt, which uh, you hate to see. All right, more KU basketball talk coming up next. Henry Greenstein joins us in fifteen minutes. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined in about 10 minutes from right now by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com to uh, talk a little KU hoops and a little KU football also. Rock Chalk Pickahawk recap. You uh, scored a lot, 41, and I scored a little, two. So you won. Nice. Now, Huge W. Kevin McCuller was my first pick. He did not play. So Yeah, so if I had taken I can do there. your offer, actually... Yeah, that's of true. Of you getting Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller. You might have still been able to win. Would I have won? You might have. I mean, it, it just, it, who knows how the draft order would have gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But I I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. So that was a tough one. Kevin got zero. Hunter had the most. He had 20 points for you. KJ had the second most. He had 10. Yep. Parker Brown had seven because he got six rebounds. That's yeah, helpful. yeah, he was a rebounding fiend out there. And then Nick Timberlake got you four, which I wonder, is this the first time that we've had all four picks on a team get positive? Mm. It might be. Could be, yeah, because, I mean, a lot of a lot of games early in the season, we were either picking El Marco or Timberlake, and they were having a hard time. Dewan had a string of games where he was going negative a lot, which, by the way, I guess he finished positive in this game. But, uh, yeah, so it could be, could be. So that's just that's just listen, you know what they you know what they call you know what they call that? Hmm. They call that great coaching <laughs> by me. That's what they call that. Yeah, I guess so. They call that great coaching. That puts you to nine and fifteen, and me now to uh, fifteen and nine. So we'll have another chance to do that for Saturday's game against brick Houston. Brick by brick, baby. Which I mean, honestly, the Houston one might have a lot of low scores because I don't know how many points <laughs> either team is going to score. Could Houston's be. only given up Could seventy be. or more once, and it was in overtime. Yeah, if I rally back and beat you at Pickahawk, I mean, jeez. <laughs> How, how are you ever going to let that one – how are you ever, ever going to sleep at night after that? I don't know. I, I mean, that, you get an eight-game lead. I'll have to take therapy and do all sorts of things. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. That's brutal. <laughs> I mean, I hope that – I mean, I hope it happens, but I don't want you to have to go to therapy because of it. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> you, know, thank I mean, you for your concern. I mean, listen, I want to beat you, obviously, but I don't want to be – I don't want it to be detrimental to your, to your mental health. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Thank so, you for thinking of me. You know, no, of course. I mean, obviously, I'm thinking of me first in the sense that I'm going to win or I want to win. But after I've experienced the joy, the euphoria of victory, then, like any good competitor would, I will turn to my to my adversary and make sure that you know you're you're not too devastated about. Yeah, it. great sportsmanship. Uh, we also have our KU hit of the week, brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football and KU basketball. But in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job. Pearson Collision in Lawrence. Couple options here. Uh, Dewan hitting the three to get things going. We, yeah. we talked about this. It really set the tone that yeah. even without Kevin, they were going to be okay offensively, and he was going to be aggressive in the game. KJ Adams hitting the rim on a alley oop from Dewan to go up twelve to seven, or when he hit the rim on another Dewan alley oop to go up forty two twenty three. That was or awesome. hitting the rim on the alley oop from or, behind half court to go up sixty eight forty six. Maybe that was the one I'm thinking of. That was mm-hmm. the best one. That uh, there was one where it looked like Dewan was shooting. But it was actually just a pass straight to him. That was, I think, the first one. That was the first one? Where it looked okay. like he was shooting. Okay. The one where it made a 68-46 was Dewan was, like, behind half court. Mm. And he threw it all the way. And that was the one where KJ, I don't even know if KJ did dunk it. It was more of, like, a throw it in the rim 
and maybe oh, grazed the rim gotcha. with your fingers. Gotcha. But all those were good. Jamari McDowell getting hit and cashing in on the and one with the layup. Yep, that was a nice we'll play. See. Got got the defender on his back and then uh, took him to the rim. How about Michael Jankovic hitting a right wing three? Always yep. cool when you can get the walk ons. Yeah, I mean you got to have that one on there for sure. Yeah. Speaking of the walk ons, Wilder Evers. Kind of grazed yeah. in the rim on okay. a coop. You were Nick trying Kimberlake. to disrespect my man here. We were talking about this off air earlier in the day today. You were trying to disrespect my guy here. You said that oh it wasn't a dunk. Oh he he hit it off the backboard. No, it was an alley oop. Watching live, I I thought it was banked in, but I went back and watched it. Yeah, he he dunked. No, it, it was a dunk. Grazed the rim. So good for well, him. Well, I mean, I mean, I use the term dunk somewhat loosely, but it was a you know, it was a catch and throw it down. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Shame on you for trying to disrespect my guy. <laughs> so I, I don't know. That might be my that might that might be my pick, honestly. Because let me ask you this: How many opportunities throughout the rest of the season are we going to have a chance to give the hit of the week to Wilder Evers? Okay. What about Probably Nick zero, right? for hitting the rim a billion times? No, yeah, there he, were some clanks. I mean, he almost bent the rim. Yeah, I was worried for the rim. The two mid-range shots were were tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I was concerned about the rim, honestly. Uh, but, but yeah, Wild Reavers. I mean, seriously, how many other, how many, we're not going to get very many opportunities to put him on the list. What about Michael Jankovic? Jankovic's probably going to have another chance, maybe. Well, actually, I can't, I guess I can't say that for sure. Not with this schedule upcoming. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. What do you think? I'm fine giving it to Evers, though. You are? Yeah. Well, I just, I, I'm just really passionate about supporting my guy because you were trying to say that he couldn't dunk. I didn't say he couldn't dunk. That's I thought what it was you just were insinuating. In. You Listen, were insinuating that he could not do it. I am a new parent, and by the time that game was wrapping up, it's ten o'clock. I am tired. <laughs> I was seeing things. Let me be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. let's go with Wilder Evers officially. Right. So he's on the on put the him board. on the board. Tied with Ernest Uday. There we go. Who, by the way, Ernest had like a. Uh, flagrant in their game. I forget who TCU played Saturday. He had another was flagrant hitting somebody in the face on like a rebound. I think Maybe it was it Baylor. Baylor. Yeah, I think it was Baylor. He was in one of the overtimes. Oh. Ended up winning. So yeah. Maybe well, I mean, listen. When he was at KU, he was known to have an issue with flailing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I would watch Ernest Uday play, I would often think, dude, th- watching this guy, it's like it's like all four of his extremities, his arms and his legs. It's like they all four have minds of their own. <laughs> he just they just flail. Yeah, just go. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some truth to that. Well, Wilder Evers officially on the board. Pearson Collision knows accidents happen, understands the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision Repair, 7th in Connecticut in Lawrence. Henry Greenstein of Lawrence Journal World next. Talk more KU hoops on RCST with KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Aletha. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to our KU mailbag, RCST mailbag, whatever you want to call it, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour here. Right now, we're going to be doing the question asking, though, as Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com hops on with us on the show. Kansas dominates Oklahoma State last night. Uh, Henry, no Kevin McCuller. What was your biggest takeaway from KU's dominant performance against the Cowboys? Well, it's hard to say just how substantial of a message you can take away from it because 
you know, K's two best offensive games of the year so far, uh, practically speaking, have both been against Oklahoma State. So it might just be that Oklahoma State makes them look really good. Mm-hmm. But I was really impressed by the execution on both sides of the ball, even by the bench. I, I thought they held up pretty well overall for the most part. Um, I, I think El Marco Jackson has been getting maybe a little too much hype coming out of last night. I think 10 points on 50% shooting is pretty good, but it's not like a crowning achievement. I think he has far more he can do with that. But for a player who had only scored eight points combined the rest of Big 12 play, it is certainly good to see. It gives some suggestion he might be rounding into form a little bit, gives him more confidence to shoot the ball in the games ahead. Other than that, yeah, I mean, I've been – one of the biggest believers that the team just does not function well when it does not have Kevin McCullough on the court, and I, I was proven wrong yesterday. Yeah, and again, I, I think if, if you get into some of the, the tougher games, that would probably still be the case, but I, I'm guessing then, based on uh, what you kind of just said there, like with El Marco Jackson, do you see that being the arrow pointed up, or, or is there still worry that maybe it's just a one-off and that when you know Kevin McCullough does come back from the lineup, it'll be different circumstances and and that that won't totally carry over well i I think that worry does persist um i like i wouldn't be surprised at all if they play houston and he plays eight minutes and goes over one or something like that but it's good to know that he has this sort of showing in him um and i think what was particularly potent about this one was that he was actually willing to fire he was willing to drive he used that first step that Bill Self talks about with him so often to, to kind of break to the basket before people were even ready. I think that's what he needs to do more, and I think that's something that Johnny Furphy only started doing fairly recently, but we can see from yesterday how good of an addition slashing has been to his game, and that's what Marco Jackson should be doing like to an even greater extent than Johnny Furphy should be doing it. Driving to the basket is, is the way that he's going to, prove his McDonald's All-American pedigree and become a valuable contributor for the team. And so it was nice to see him do a little bit of that, even though 10 of his points, obviously, yeah, he hit two threes, so that was a big portion of it. On the topic of the bench, guys, uh, Nick Timberlake goes one of five from three in the game, and a lot of them were really wide-open looks. Are you are you to the point of maybe just giving up on Timberlake as a guy who can come off the bench and, and hit some big-time perimeter shots, or do you still feel like there's a chance he could maybe figure it out as we get into February? I'm not giving up on him as a guy that can come off the bench, but I am giving up on the idea of him being anything approaching what we thought he was going to be entering the year. Like I think he can, he can turn in games like he did at the first time against Oklahoma State or against West Virginia, where he comes in, he plays great minutes, he makes hustle plays, and you know passes the ball pretty well and all that. But I, I don't, I, I am not clinging to the idea anymore that we're going to have a game where he gets like six threes or something. I just. He hasn't shown enough consistency in his shooting stroke. He's like below thirty percent. He's missing open looks. It's 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 tough, but you can only really really give him so much time. And I kind of thought that, sort of like against Yale, I kind of thought that having him on the floor longer um, would lead to better results yesterday. But I mean, he had his moments, but it it really didn't to the extent that I kind of thought it would. Based on Bill Self's comments, and, and we'll hear again from him you know, later this week, which will probably be the, the more indicative update, but if you're reading between what was said about Kevin McCuller and his injury, do you feel like it was just more of a precautionary thing that, hypothetically, if they were playing Houston last night instead of Oklahoma State, that maybe he would have played and that you would expect him to be available Saturday, or do you just feel like it's a complete unknown? 
I'm going to split the difference between the two things that you said. I think if they played Houston last night, he still wouldn't have played because of the 50%, 60% descriptor that, that Fell said. I mean, that's a pretty low percentage. But I do think that maybe they thought, okay, Tuesday night, Oklahoma State, let's, let's give him some rest. You know, Hunter can walk in against Garrison, and KJ can make some plays, and, and, and hopefully that'll be enough. Like, I, I think there might have been a little bit of that going into it, but based on the extent to which Kevin has fought through injuries earlier in the season, I mean, this is like the third or fourth thing he's had already. I, I, I think it's far more likely than not that, that he plays Saturday. And obviously that would be pretty important with uh, who they're playing specifically. So what sticks out to you? I don't know how much time you've gotten to take a look at Houston or get familiar with what they will be uh, bringing to the table on Saturday. But what sticks out to you about this matchup from the Kansas perspective, from the Houston perspective, from, uh, I guess, the aura around the game, everything kind of going into Saturday? Well, I mean, uh, Bill Self has proven himself pretty insanely good at, over the years at beating higher-ranked opponents when they come into Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, the UConn game was another example of that. Now, granted, that doesn't happen very often because KU is rarely ranked lower than another team, period. Um, but I, I think the crowd will play a big role in this game. I think it's important for KU to get uh, the the, uh, the ravenous masses on their side early on, um, see if they can rattle Houston a little bit on offense, uh, build an advantage so that they can withstand any runs that the Cougars might make. I think I think we'll see this game be pretty similar to the Iowa State game. I mean, Houston's defense may be on even another level above Iowa State's, but KU did do a pretty good job dissecting the Cyclones that day. Um, I think if there's any team in the Big 12 that might be able to break through them, I think KU is as good a candidate as anyone. But, I, I mean, you know, Jamal Shedd is hard to stop. They, they, got, they got so many potent players, and they're all veterans. Uh, they've been around winning teams for years and years. Uh, you kind of worry about something like that, kind of like the Marquette game, a team with as much experience as Houston has. Maybe they'll they'll have more focus and they'll outlast KU down the stretch. So, yeah, it'll be a really tough one from that perspective. You figure Dewan Harris probably going to have his hands full again with the Houston matchup, like you mentioned, with, with Shed and even Cryer to a certain extent. It seems like Dewan is maybe starting to build back some confidence a little bit, 12 points in the game against Oklahoma State with seven assists. Where do you feel like he's at? I know people want to get on him when KU struggles offensively, but do you feel like maybe he should be getting a little bit more love for now starting to get things going a little bit, it seems like? Well, I don't know about love, but uh, I don't know, maybe some relief. <laughs> but, yeah, it was interesting to hear Bill Soft talk about his performance yesterday. Uh, I asked a question that I thought was pretty straightforward, just like how important was it to have DeWan be aggressive in a game where Kevin's out, and, Self basically said, you know, Dewan needs to stop listening to anyone, including me. He basically, because it was quite a departure from his previous public statements about, like, you know, I keep telling Dewan he, he needs to turn the ball over less, and everyone's telling Dewan he needs to shoot more, and all the stuff we heard from, from KJ Adams and others about trying to get Dewan to shoot more and, and stuff like that. So it was interesting to hear Self say that, that Dewan himself is the one who knows how to win, and he's the one who ultimately needs to guide himself. I, I think Dewan has the right mentality to kind of do that, but I don't know that that's an approach that Self adopts with players uh, very often. Uh, I guess if there's anyone he was going to do it with, it would be a guy he has the utmost confidence in, and Dewan certainly fits that description. So, yeah, I mean, we talk all the time about how freshmen need to get out of their own heads and think less, but maybe that can apply to other KU players as well. Maybe that's what Harris needs to do.
I think I asked you this question last week ahead of the Iowa State game, and um, I, I, I think I, I said it in a way that I didn't quite want to call it that, but I could understand uh, that it would be very important to do so. Now, they did lose the game, and here I am asking it again, so maybe that makes it that last week clearly wasn't. But um, when I think of Kansas trying to win the Big 12, if you lose this game, you're 5-4. and four. I feel like you have to hold serve at home the rest of the way. It's also a, a game against one of the other teams that you're projecting to maybe win the conference. Is this one, just in terms of winning the Big 12, obviously there's more than just winning the Big 12 when you look at the NCAA tournament. So, uh, But just in terms of winning the league in the regular season, is this game a must-win if Kansas wants to win the Big 12? Well, let's see. I mean, if you lose this one, as you said, you have to win every other home game. Um, I don't know exactly what the target number is, and my understanding is I think Ken Palm thinks KU will lose five more games, which does not bode well for their uh, biggest style changes. But, yeah, I'd say this is, of any game coming up for the remainder of the season, this is probably as close to a must-win as you're going to get. I mean, you got the crowd on your side. You're playing the conference favorites. Uh, this would make a massive statement and, and prove that KU is, does indeed deserve to be ranked among the best teams in the country, if they haven't proven that already. I mean, by the way, it's the team that, you know, beat UConn and all the rest. But this this is probably, at least for, for the next month or so, the most important game they have on their schedule, I believe. What do you think the key to Kansas getting the victory is, is going to be on Saturday? Well, I mean, first of all, you'd really like to have Kevin McCuller. Uh, I think you need to be at full strength for this game. Uh, but you also want to have Kevin McCuller, who's not going to go three for 12 in the first half or whatever, like he did against Iowa State. So that's one key is having arguably your best player on the floor. Um, another key would be uh, limiting the turnovers again. I think they've done a good job of that recently, even against Iowa State, where the numbers weren't necessarily great, um, except for that one little stretch in the second half. I thought they did a good job against a team that forces those super well. And that goes back to what we're saying about Jawan Harris, uh, his confidence seems to be uh, getting higher right now, and, and they'll need the best version of him. Um, and just some player on the bench to do something. It doesn't need to be a masterful showing by anyone, but I, I think there will come a moment where you need Nick Timberlake to hit a shot, or you need, I don't know, Jamari McDowell to play some defense like he did against Kentucky and Tennessee. And I, I think that they will be called upon in big moments, simply because that's how these games inevitably go. Now, obviously, Self will keep the rotation super tight. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the starting lineup, Parker Brown and Johnny Furphy, uh, sorry, Parker Brown and uh, Marco Jackson is the only people who play in this game. But even so, I think those guys will be called upon in big moments. And at some point, one of them will have to deliver in some form. Do you have more confidence in Kansas I guess what would be a higher percentage chance of happening? Kansas winning the Big 12 regular season or Kansas making a Final Four? Which of those two do you think has a better chance? Ooh, that is interesting. Because you're basically asking, like, will they get hot right now over the course of a month and a half? Or will they get hot in March over the course of a couple weeks? Um, I guess just based on sample size, you kind of got to say Final Four. That, 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 that's so weird to think. But, I mean, sometimes teams take a long time to, to round in shape. Um, this team seems to be one of those teams. I mean, we'll have a sense on Saturday whether they're reaching 
a high point or, or a low point in this part of the season because I really don't think you can judge too much from Oklahoma State. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't come into this answer thinking I was going to say that, but <laughs> maybe Final Four is the way to go in that question. Yeah, I no, I, I actually kind of agree with you, to be honest, because I, I think the lack of depth um, – I think has a bigger impact over the regular season than it might during the NCAA yeah. tournament where, you know, it normally is shorter rotations and there's the longer TV timeouts and everything like that. So I guess outside of an injury, which um, they dealt with last night, so who totally knows. Now, we also got to see the uh, KU football schedule come out with the entirety of the Big 12 schedule yesterday. On a scale of 1 to 10, how favorable or unfavorable do you think the KU schedule is compared to the rest of the conference, Henry? Okay, I haven't looked in too much depth at, at exactly how things laid out for the rest of the conference, but I definitely say it's like a seven or eight. I mean, just looking down the games they have on the list, I, I think the hardest one is probably Kansas State and Manhattan uh, by a fairly wide margin. Now, it's not easy to go into Morgantown and beat West Virginia, especially with some returning young players who are promising. Uh, KU's never had the experience of having to go into Provo and you know it's another like high altitude thing and an unfamiliar place didn't treat them too well in Nevada last year so I think some of the road games are pretty tough and I think you know the Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter and those guys can probably beat or lose to anyone in the country next year but I think on the whole this is a more favorable schedule for KU than they had this past season uh now the, the Arrowhead and Children's Mercy Park of it all is a little strange um but I think that certainly if you're a KU fan, this bolsters your outlook for the year ahead. What are you more excited to see from just a, I don't know, covering a game or, or seeing what the environment is like perspective? Is it going to be the games against maybe lesser opponents, but in a more, you know, packed environment, even though it's a smaller one with Children's Mercy Park or the spectacle of trying to fill an NFL stadium? No, I, I got to go with the pageantry of Arrowhead. I mean, I, I happen to love Children's Mercy Park. I, I've been there quite a bit. I did some work there a few years ago. So I, uh, I I think it's a great venue, and I think it'll be kind of fun to have some games there. But especially, I mean, you don't get that sort of intimate feeling at football games too often. Those lines of sight will be kind of unmatched. But uh, I, I think just from my perspective, I, I'm really looking forward to covering a game in Arrowhead. We'll see as the season goes on whether I get sick of it. But I, I think it'll be a good experience. And two bye weeks, uh, that's part of this new schedule for everybody going around. So it's not just that KU's the team that has them. Do you think that it's a pretty ideal set of where the bye weeks are for KU? Or, or do you think if you know Lance Leipold had his, had his option, had his choice, he would mess with some of those? Uh, no, I, I very much do not think it's an ideal way to go. I mean, two bye weeks in a four-week span is a little silly. I think you'd like to have one after K-State. That seems like a good a good place to go, especially if you're figuring that's one of the games they're most likely to lose next season, you know, Avery Johnson and all that. But I, I think you'd probably want to have the first one maybe a week or two earlier, or I guess maybe you'd have one midway through October and one midway through November. I just, I do not think it's optimal at all. And I believe I saw they're the only team that has their bye weeks in such close proximity. So uh, it'll be kind of weird. If you had to pick a range of wins right now, um, obviously there, there's still so much that could happen with you know transfer portal post-spring. We're still waiting on a new DBs coach and all that sort of stuff. But if you had to pick a, a range of wins, not necessarily I'm, I'm not going to ask you to tie down to one total, where would that range be? What would be kind of the floor and the ceiling you'd be looking at right now based on the, the schedule coming out? 
Well, based on the returning talent alone, I, 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 I'm, I'm feeling good about an 8-10 to 10 range for this year. Um, I mean, if you've been listening to my appearances over the weeks and months, you'll know I'm not the, the biggest optimist in these sorts of projections. Uh, but I really feel like KU isn't losing a whole lot on offense, which has historically been a strong point. And the defense showed last year that it can have some success year over year and also plugging in new guys. Uh, I, I think if Jalen Daniels is healthy, this team has as high a ceiling as KU has had in recent memory. I mean, I, I could have said that going into either of the last two years as well. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Eight to ten feels good with me. I'm, I'm kind of feeling nine or ten right now. Um, we'll see how things evolve. Uh, you never know what might happen in the spring. We don't know what the corners coach has said. We'll see what we think of Jeff Grimes' offensive scheme. But, yeah, I don't know. A very positive and favorable outlook. And what else do you guys have going on right now at uh, KUSports.com? Yeah, plenty of coverage going on for men's and women's basketball. Obviously, the KU women have a game against BYU tonight, so keep an eye out for our coverage from that. Um, I'm working on a little preview with capsules about all the different teams KU plays. It won't be super long, but it'll be uh, informative, especially for teams maybe you're not as familiar with, like Arizona State. Um and just uh, all the same stuff as usual, I, I encourage anyone to read it. All right, we'll check that out again. KUSports.com and in the LJ world. Henry, I appreciate the time. Have a good rest of your week. All right, thank you very much. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. Our RCST KU mailbag next. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and uh, we'll get to some other Big 12 game recaps later this hour. We've also got some KU player audio with El Marco Jackson and KJ Adams. Coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, more KU basketball talk with our KU Oklahoma State top takeaways and some Bill Self audio, so plenty more KU hoops talk to come, including in this segment right here, depending where the listeners take us, because it's time for our RCST KU Mailbag, next favorite segment of the week. Yep. First up, Joey, is the Chiefs' Super Bowl run in a down regular season a good reminder that KU basketball can do the same? Yeah, I mean, okay. Let, let, let's think about this for a second. Are we? Are we? I mean, the Chiefs won the AFC West for like the eighth straight year. Mm-hmm. Are we? Are you? First of all, are you willing to accept that this was a Chiefs down year from the regular season perspective? One hundred percent. Okay. This okay. Is, uh, isn't it the least amount of wins in a regular season for Patrick Mahomes? Mm, I, I don't know. I they think he maybe had the same number in another season. Maybe. Okay. Well, there, there's a reason they had to go on the road in the playoffs for the first time, right? <laughs> yeah. It was okay, certainly the worst fair. offense of the Patrick Mahomes era. Okay. Okay. So down year certainly. They win the AFC West. Uh, they make the playoffs, though. Yeah, I mean, listen, a- as you know, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, anything can happen, right? I mean, certainly if you have a higher seed, you're in your better position. But kind of like we've been discussing, this may be a season where, yeah, because of KU's lack of depth, they maybe they do lose six or seven games in conference and they don't win the conference title. But they might be better positioned for an NCAA tournament run because of the talent and experience they have, which I guess you could say the same thing about the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs, down year, quote-unquote. But because of their experience and because of Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and the, the previous experience that they've had of winning Super Bowls and making deep runs in the playoffs, even though they had to end up going on the road, 
they were more prepared to face the Dolphins in the cold. They were more prepared and more ready to play the Ravens in the AC title game. Well, meanwhile, the Ravens look like they melted down. It looked like they were not ready for that moment, and the Chiefs were. So I guess you could say the same thing about KU, right? You have a, you have a point guard in Dewan Harris who's an experienced player who's, who's won a national title. Obviously, you have Bill Self. Kevin McCoy and Herb Dickens are two experienced players. So yeah, maybe the regular season results aren't totally there for Kansas at the end of the year where they end up losing six, seven regular season games or six, seven conference games and not winning the regular season title. But because of that experience, because of what they have on their team, they could be positioned to make a better run of the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's only happened six times with Bill Self at Kansas that Kansas has gotten a three or a four seed. They've gotten four seed twice, which is uh, tied for their lowest. Both times they got a four seed, they lost in the first weekend. Which, first of all, let's just let's just reiterate that point. Yeah. Bill Self's been at Kansas for over 20 years now. The lowest seed that he has had in an NCAA tournament is a four seed. The lowest seed. Pretty incredible. That he has had. But yeah, both times they uh, lost in the first weekend. Uh, the times they were a three seed, 2005, or I guess they also got a four seed, no four. So that was the third time, sorry. And that year they did make an Elite Eight. 2005, they got a three seed. That was a first round loss. Uh, the next three seed they got was, you have to go to 2021, which is a second round loss. And uh, right now they're kind of pacing as a three seed or maybe on the two line. We'll talk with Graham Dorian later this week to kind of go over some of that. But, um, yeah, I mean, so from that standpoint, it is kind of a down year if you end up getting a two or three seed, as as crazy as that sounds, just because of how insane and incredible he's been. This year is wide open in college basketball. And I know we've said that a lot lately, but I think there's a reason why. It has been wide open for the past handful of years because there's more talent. There's more talent. There's more players in the player pool. There's more players going elsewhere, whether it's the transfer portal, whether it's just the added players from still the COVID year where you still have fifth year and and even sixth year players that are in the system. You're having players who are transferring and being eligible right away. So you don't just have, you know, talented players transferring elsewhere and sitting out a year. So um, there's a lot of reasons that that is happening. I think, yeah, it is a good reminder that KU basketball can. What if they don't win the Big 12 this year? What if they go 11-7 and seven in conference play and they get a three-seed in the NCAA tournament? Of course they could still make a run to the Elite Eight. Of course they could still make a Final Four, right? Yeah, for sure. So, and also keep this in mind, too. With KU's recent struggles, I I almost don't want to make this comparison because still that that the team that I'm about to bring up last year was still like viewed as like a top five, top ten team on like Ken Palm, even despite going through the struggles. But let's not forget, UConn won the title last year, right? This was them from December thirty first. They lost some double digit games through January. Lost to Xavier, lost to Providence, win versus Creighton, lost to Marquette, lost to St. John's, lost to Seton Hall, win versus Butler, lost to Xavier, and then a win versus DePaul to finish out January. That means from from the last game in December through the last game in January, they only won three games compared to six Seven, losses. Six losses, yeah. So I mean, they were five and six at one point in conference play. Don't count Kansas out. And even if they don't end up winning the Big 12 because you have other good teams at the conference like Houston, don't worry. They can still make a run in March as, as long yeah. as they start tightening some of this stuff up. For sure. Okay, this one from uh, Tyler. Toughest and easiest three-game stretch for KU football. Obviously, the new KU football schedule has been released. Yeah, I hate to be that guy. I think your, your three non-conference games is probably <laughs> easiest stretch, right? I mean, Lindenwood, UN, uh, UNLV at home, and then on the road against Illinois. If you wanted to be different, yeah. What if you have to pick conference games just to make this uh, that a little? I think more you'd probably say TCU, Arizona State, Houston, probably two of those are out at home. Or I guess home Arrowhead mm-hmm. Stadium, TCU and Houston, Arizona State on the road. They're they haven't been a particularly great team. That's probably the easiest stretch because the West Virginia game 
I, I don't want to sit here and, and West Virginia, listen, they had, a, they had a great season last year. So I don't know what to expect out of them. Then you have Kansas State on the road after the Houston game. You have Iowa State at home. That's probably going to be a tough game. BYU on the road could be tough. Colorado at, at Arrowhead Stadium could be tough. Baylor on the road could be tough. So I think in terms of conference play, you're looking at TCU, Arizona State on the road, and Houston probably as the three-game easiest stretch in conference play. Uh, just because two of those are at Arrowhead Stadium. Houston is a team that did, they fired. They ended up firing Dan Holgerson, right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah they, they fired have, uh, Willie Fritz now. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be saying that should be easy because Willie Fritz has been a good coach. Uh, he was the guy that I think some Kansas fans maybe wanted before Lance Leipold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you look at TCU a down year last year after going back after going to the national title game again. Arizona State not that good. Yeah, I guess that's probably the easiest three game stretch, right? In conference play, I agree with that for for what it's worth. And and who knows, TCU could end up being. I I continue to believe that. Okay, TCU was just in the title game two years ago. They could go six and six this year. They could be four and eight. You know, maybe that was just catching lightning in a bottle. But they have so much talent that would have shocked you if TCU was eight and four or nine and three. No, it wouldn't. So who knows? Maybe they end up being better than you think. Maybe Arizona yeah. State ends up being better than you think, right? Maybe Houston with Lily Fretz better than you think. But I do think on paper that absolutely is the uh, would be the easiest for conference play outside of that non-con that, that you're kind of talking about there. Yeah, I mean the non-conference slate, it's not difficult. I mean, no, what Lindenwood, about the toughest though? The toughest three-game stretch. Is it, it might be Kansas State, Iowa State, BYU. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to go with, too. Because BYU, very difficult place to play. I think they'll do a little better in year two. Even if they're 6-6 yeah. six and six or 7-5, and five, though, that'll be a tough game, tough place to play, yeah. physical football team. Iowa State will be a physical game that's right before the BYU game. Yeah, and and Kansas also, State, obviously, and will be, too. I'm also taking into account with the Iowa State game that it, it might end up being more of like a neutral site type game. They're going to bring a big crowd. Iowa State yes. is probably going to be bringing a pretty significant crowd to that game at Arrowhead Stadium. So I'm I'm factoring that in, right? I think if if that was the home game played at the booth in Lawrence, I maybe wouldn't be so inclined to say that that's the toughest stretch. But I think maybe you could make that case because of the fact that it could be more of a, a neutral site type game. Obviously, Kansas State is probably the toughest game on the schedule. Looking at it today, so that I think immediately has to be in your toughest three if that's the toughest game on the schedule. And then to your point with BYU on the road in Provo, it's going to be tough and. And again, remember we remember we we had pulled up the numbers on this. Teams that make the jump from a group of five to power five, they get better, obviously, mm-hmm. right? They get better with extra money, with extra facilities, with extra recruiting prowess, and all that. They will get better. And BYU was uh, what they go five and seven last year. Yes. Yeah. So they're gonna be. Pro- I would expect them to be probably around that same level of team, six and six, seven and five, five and seven. Which maybe on its face doesn't sound overly difficult when you're talking about thinking Kansas could win nine, ten games, but on the road, altitude, Mormon country, you never know. I love that. Okay, you like Mormon country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with that. I'm <clears throat> trying to think if I would even toss in any other. I mean, yeah, I mean, who knows? I guess- what if Colorado ends up being really good could, at BYU, Colorado at Baylor, where you just. Never yeah. beat Baylor. Like I guess you could have a yeah. And if Willie there. Fritz does end up making Houston like a really really good team right away, maybe there's a case to be made of like okay, you're gonna have to go out of Arizona State and then Houston and then at K State. That could be suddenly a tough three game stretch. Um, I don't know. Okay. Or, may, or I guess maybe the argument there would be Houston, Kansas State, Iowa State probably actually would be the main would be the argument that makes more sense because you do have a, you you get a bye week in between Arizona State and Houston. 
Next question from Brian. Do you believe Allen Fieldhouse is haunted? I've been mm. in the Fieldhouse many times by myself, even at night. I've heard basketballs bouncing from the concourse, but when I go in the arena to see who's playing, the bouncing stops. I've heard others tell similar <laughs> stories. Okay. So I don't know if there's an actual term for this. You know, uh, when I was younger, I actually I used to watch a lot of ghost shows. Mm. I was fascinated by that stuff. Well, I don't. It, actually, it wasn't so much me. My dad liked to watch them. I actually hated them, but I would watch them anyways because I'm I'm scared. I don't like I, I don't like to think about that stuff. But anyways, there is a known phenomenon I believe in which old places uh, that are old and are of historic significance, you can sometimes and I don't again I don't know if there's a term for this. There might be. You can sometimes basically hear the reverberations of the past. I feel like you're feel like you can hear them basically. So for like it's like a mental thing you're saying. Yeah, or like it's like a or it's like or it, I mean it, it could be real. I, I mean it could be real where it's like, you know, you go somewhere like the example that I always draw from is like you go to an old battlefield of like a pa of like the Civil War, or past war, and it's like oh maybe you can sometimes hear like what sounds like a cannonball shot or like guys screaming going to war or whatever. So. I'm thinking this is maybe what Brian is experiencing because he says that he he hears basketballs dribbling and whatnot. Well, Allen Fieldhouse, obviously, famous mm -hmm. for playing basketball. I mean, the rules of basketball are written there. James Naismith statues out there. There could easily be some sort of like residual, you know, I I, I don't know if go, ghost isn't the right term, but like spiritual sounds, mm -hmm. I guess. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, I don't I, know that it's haunted. I mean. No, I don't know. I think I think sometimes your mind can play tricks on you. For instance, I've, I've been having this as uh, a new dad. Sometimes I will be like, wait, do I smell a poopy diaper? And then I'll be like, no, it's not there. It's just your mind playing tricks on yourself that like, okay, you've smelled it before and you start thinking about, oh, did they have it? And it's like, you know, sometimes that can happen. So it is possible it's that. Maybe it is haunted though. I, I, mean, I am someone who I guess kind of believes in stuff like that. that there yeah, could, sure. You know. Yeah. Well, and you know, haunted carries a negative connotation. That's it doesn't true necessarily well. have to be negative, right? It could just be that there are ghostly spirits. Right. In Allen Fieldhouse. Possibly. Yeah. Which, you know, if that's what helps KU, great. I mean, hell, maybe James Naismith is hanging out there. Great. Perfect. <laughs> he's like, wow, this game is really taking off. Yeah, he's like, this, uh, ain't, this ain't basketball. This ain't real basketball. Where's the peach basket? This ain't man basketball. Yeah. How come they don't have to poke the ball out every time somebody <laughs> scores? Do we think Memorial Stadium is going to be haunted now? Now they're tearing it down and rebuilding it. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I doubt it. Okay. I'm not sure though. Next it, question. Because it's not going to be Memorial Stadium anymore because it's not the old stadium. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but it's still going to be built on the same ground. No, I know, but it's not. It's a new stadium. The spirit of old Memorial Stadium is. There, could, I mean, listen. Opponents. You could convince me of all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty gullible person, to be okay. honest. So, I mean, I would believe just about anything, to be honest. This question from Ray: If you could pick one piece of the broken down Memorial Stadium, good transition there to have. Oh, yeah. What would you choose? Speaking of Memorial Stadium, hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. I think from like a cool, like I'm trying to think. So I have a couple thoughts here. Let's start with, like, from a man cave standpoint. Okay. Wouldn't it be pretty cool if you could have, I, and I actually saw some people doing this, actually, but after the last game, you could have a section sign. 
like hanging up in your man cave. From yeah, it would to be like you know this is the, yeah like the section size. This is section twenty two. Yeah, is my yeah, basement. Whatever. Right. Or like if you could, I mean, I, Memorial Stadium had those metal benches, so you probably wouldn't want that. I would think. Uh, so like from a man cave perspective, maybe something like that, or even maybe just like I don't even know if this would be possible, but from the press box, if you could get like some of the letters, you know how they have the lettering on the press box. Mm-hmm. If you could get one of those. But like, you'd probably want more than one to actually spell out something. I don't know. That could be kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, so today they took down the, the scoreboard. The scoreboard, right? What if you could get the scoreboard? What would you do with the scoreboard? What if you had like a big backyard or you own some like acreage, you own some land, and you build your own like outdoor like, movie theater like area? Like shrine? Yeah. No, just like an outdoor movie theater area. Using the scoreboard? Yes, and then you could like host well, I mean, parties. The, well, stuff. the bad news is, you know, the, the scoreboard had some issues with it down the stretch. Though. Yeah, it did. It, so. it had like uh, dead spots where it would just be like black, black squares and, and plus, stuff. you know, I mean, think about the amount of electricity. You can fix it, though. Well, think about the amount of electricity you would need to be able to operate that. And remember, the scoreboard is encased in a giant concrete like sure like thing concrete facade mm-hmm. i guess so you want are you do you want all of that or you just want the scoreboard itself because it, it, i feel like it kind of loses some of its luster if mm. you're just taking the scoreboard specifically i so, guess i want the whole thing? thing and i want it to be operational but how are you gonna be able to transport that when i'm that? watching games it updates what do you mean updates like it updates to what the the time and score of the game is no you you'd have to have a you'd have to have an actual score you'd have to actually have a someone push a button probably to do that. Well I mean in this in this perfect world then then maybe I'm just rich and you pay somebody. That. Yeah. <laughs> well I just it just it just doesn't seem very very reasonable. Very reasonable, yeah. I don't know man, now, that'd be pretty if cool. If you did want to go bigger, huh? I'm actually thinking instead of the that scoreboard, give me the scoreboard in the bowl at the other end. The smaller one. You know what I'm talking about? No. You know what I'm talking about? The smaller scoreboard at the at, in the at the other end of the bowl. Are you talking about the one that just like shows stats? No, no. There's an actual. There's a scoreboard at that end of the stadium. But there was. By the way, that would actually be cool if you just had like a scoreboard of like the banner scoreboard that shows the stats just around your basement. But and again, it was constantly running, showing scores see, around. Like, that would the be cool. But again, there's no way your basement would be big enough to be, be able to do that. But if you had the small, I can't believe you don't know what I'm talking about. Look at. Look, look, are you looking it up? Look yeah. at a picture. The scoreboard at the at the other end, like above the Ring of Honor. See, in the Ring of Honor, I know the names are probably painted on there, but that if you could get a chunk of the Ring of Honor, that'd be cool. Chunk of the Ring of Honor would be very cool. Imagine if you had, like, Todd Reesing's thing and you could put that in your basement. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. What? Um, Dude. Now you're making me sec- second-guess myself here. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what about something from, like, the press box? What if you could get, like, a suite transported, again, to, like, your basement what about, or your uh, area? Okay, what about one of those giant player posters that they have on the outside? Would you want something like that? That'd be too big. Oh, that'd be too big, Mister. I want the scoreboard guy. But I can put that outside. Where am I going to put the player poster? <laughs> I don't even put it on the side of your house. Yeah. I don't think it would fit. I don't think my house is as high as a stadium. Dude, I can't believe you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm looking at pictures. I don't know. Whatever. The 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 smaller scoreboard at the other end. I mean, what about just some of the seats? Well, but it, well, again, it's all benches. Right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be very feasible, probably, to have any of that. Hmm. What about the turf? What if you could just take the turf and you could have your own football field in the backyard? That'd be actually kind of cool. I guess. I don't know. You're just a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm really mad that you don't know which... I'm talking about the other scoreboard. Nope. I have no idea. Because that scoreboard, you could feasibly... like, It's big, but it's not as big. Uh, This one from Ian. You can guarantee one regular season five-game winning streak... 
for any KU sport in the calendar year of 2024, what do you choose and why? Okay, so he says calendar year 2024. And he that says is regular season, so you can't just be like, oh, we're in the national title game. Oh, okay. That's what you were going to do, weren't, weren't you? <laughs> he said regular season. Uh, okay. You have been foiled. <laughs> okay, well... You could still go with Kansas basketball. We've talked about the gauntlet they have of a stretch coming up. What if you could just what if you could just automatically go five and zero in some stretch? Sure. That'd be pretty cool. Uh so you maybe would do that. I think if you're looking for the most bang for your buck, football makes the most sense. Because if you have a five game win streak in football, it's half your season. Exactly. So if you're looking for strictly like again, bang for your buck, value pick, you'd pick football, right? Well, okay, because that's the thing you get into basketball. If you picked I'm trying to think what the best five games would be. You probably pick the last be. five because you because it's the last part of the last five is uh, at Houston, Kansas State, and Baylor. Yeah, or would you just choose this five versus Houston at K State? You guarantee winning at K State. That'd be yeah. nice with the rivalry sure. versus Baylor, and then two road games at Tech and at Oklahoma. That's three yeah. road games total. The yeah. last five, it's only two road games, but again, it's at Baylor and at Houston. I would actually choose this five. I, I think if you're choosing basketball, here's the problem though of why I would choose football. If you Win five straight games. Let's say right now, Kansas would then be 22-4. and four. They'd be 10-3 and three in the conference. You'd feel like you have a good shot of winning the Big 12 again. you feel like you'd have a good shot of getting a one seed. All those things. Yeah. None of that guarantees that you're going to make it out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament because that thing's a crapshoot, right? Yeah. Versus for KU football, if you get five wins, not only is it half of your season, basically, but it further guarantees that you are going to go to a good bowl game or you are going to have a much better shot at making the Big 12 title game or you are going to have a much better shot of making the college football playoff. I don't think Absolutely. you choose the first five games. No, definitely not. For KU football? No, definitely not. Because, when would because you, you start have it? non you have non conference games that are easier. Right. So would you start it you would definitely want after the third game? What if you started it in week four at West Virginia? Because then you're getting wins over West Virginia, TCU, Arizona State, Houston, and that includes K State. No, 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 no. I think you're better off doing like the last five at K State versus Iowa State at BYU versus Colorado at Baylor. Yes. And then at that point, you're also yes. guaranteed to be hot going into bowl game. You probably want that whatever, five, right? or you'd want a five where it's like, if Houston ends up being good, maybe you do like Arizona State, Houston, K State, Iowa State, at BYU, BYU, yeah. And then you you just hope you can finish it off yourself in the final two weeks. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the best value because I mean, again, that's half your that's half your that's half your season. You know, you could pick uh, KU soccer in the fall. You could pick KU baseball, KU softball, but they play 60 games. KU volleyball. I mean, unless you wanted to guarantee that you could sweep somebody in KU baseball. I was gonna say KU volleyball would be interesting if Texas was still in the league. Or if like Nebraska. Imagine if this was like the old Big 12 with Nebraska and Texas and you happen to you play could, yeah. within the same five game slate, like both of them. Like that yeah. would be kind of cool. But yeah, I think yeah. it's KU football for sure on uh, the answer to that one. Uh, this one from Matt. Do you view Dewan Harris's season so far in a similar light to Marcus Garrett's senior year? Lost some scoring around him from the year before and felt like he needed to do more. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think the premise of the question is a little bit is right, but there's I don't necessarily agree with the scoring aspect, right? Because I, I don't get the sense that Dewan Harris has felt like he's needed to score more this season. I think it's it's the the part where I think the 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 question gets interesting is the part of just the idea that Dewan Harris feels like he needs to do more in terms of facilitating the offense, running the point, and playing defense. Uh, to me, it doesn't seem like Dewan is pressing in any way to try to score. In fact, I mean, people wanted to press more to score, right? That's like that's part of it, the issue. So I don't think he's trying to score more or is pressing to score more. But where I think you could make the argument where there is some similarity is that 
Dewan Harris may be pressing in other areas, i.e. on defense and being forced to, to be the main guy to run the point because Kansas at this at this stage doesn't really have another point guard that, they, that can successfully consistently run the offense. So I think that's kind of where you enter into the conversation of, is he pressing? I don't think he's pressing to score really at all. I don't think so either. In fact, the point per game numbers there, you know, it's it's not like he's averaging like five more points per game or something and like that. It's not that like he's shooting more, right? No, he's not. So um I I don't know if it's that boy where's Marcus Garrett was, but I can get what he's saying in terms of like Marcus Garrett as a junior was the defensive guy. He was the defense stopper, and he was still an excellent defensive player as a senior, but Maybe you lose a little bit of being able to do that when you have to handle the ball a little bit more. And you do have to take on a bigger load of of handling the ball and dribbling it sure. up every time on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I think people really underestimate how mentally and physically exhausting it can be to to be the guy bringing the ball up the floor and be the the guy starting right. the offense, dribbling the ball. And we heard from Bill Self at the press conference last night that he said, I think Dewan is more of a 30, 32-minute-per-game guy as opposed to a 35, 37-minute-per-game guy. And I think that makes sense because ideally you yeah. want him fresh so that he can be the best defensive player he can be. And he can't always do that when he's playing 35, 37 minutes per game. It's just too exhausting to kind of do that. So yeah. I do think there is some comparison there in terms of what you're talking about, and you need more scoring around you. The thing that's weird about it is, is yeah, even though you lose Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller has picked up that slack in terms of scoring. Yeah. You have more of a go-to post presence with Hunter Dickinson now on the down low. Unless, yes, you lost Grady Dick, but kind of Johnny what you're Furphy's getting lately from Furphy. Step right? again, yeah. And KJ's giving you kind of the same production on the offensive end, except it probably even more expanded a little bit. Um, than he did a season ago. Yeah, and you think about it, there are some guards that are guys that you know you can play 35-plus minutes per game. And KU's had some of those guards in the past. I mean, Frank Mason and Devontae Graham are two great examples of that, of players that you you knew you could play 36, 37, 38 minutes, and and it was fine. Not all players are built that way, right? No, for sure. And I think something that I find very interesting with this, though, is the idea of, you know, when Marcus Garrett is on your team, he makes you a better team. When Marcus Garrett is your third or fourth best player on your team, you're an excellent team. And I think there is some comparison to that here in that if Dewan Harris is your fourth best player on your team, you have an excellent team. But when you start asking him to be one of your two or three best players, maybe that's a little bit tougher to do. So I I don't know. I I do think there's some interesting comparisons there. Um, That's an interesting question, too. Who would you take, Dewan Harris or Marcus Garrett? Right now? I mean, just team? in general. Oh. Like who, probably who's the Marcus. better player? Who's the better KU player? I mean, Dewan won a national championship. Marcus Garrett might have if he would have got the tournament run that one year. I think Marcus Garrett was a more versatile defender because with Dewan, he's, he can be a great defender, but it's yeah, more I mean, obviously guards. Marcus Garrett, you know, six, Garrett could defend one through five. Yeah. You know? Like, so much so that Oklahoma one game parked Brady Manick, who was an, a great offensive player, in the corner just to get Marcus Garrett away from the ball. And Marcus Garrett took over that West Virginia on the uh, game on the road and just like started punching out steals. Garrett also might have had more package to him offensively. I mean, he averaged more points per game that last year. But then again, going back to this question, that was the potential of- for Dewan Harris offensively though is a bit tantalizing. Yeah, definitely a great more shooter. three point shooting, right? Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of an interesting question. 
I guess it depends on the roster construction. You know, mm -hmm. on this year's team, you actually Dewan Harris would be better. You need more of a pure point guard. Yeah. But in other years, where maybe you do want that extra wing, maybe, maybe it would be Marcus Garrett. All right. Um, that is our KU RCST mailbag. Thank you for the questions. You can get questions in early for next week if you'd like at RCST thirteen twenty on social media. RCST thirteen twenty AM at gmail.com. Uh, all right, more KU basketball talk coming up throughout the show, including some Big 12 results from last night and KU women's basketball preview next. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. KU women's basketball later tonight after the show. It will have pregame coverage starting at 6.15, tip off at 6.30 for the Jayhawks at BYU. So Kansas dominates Oklahoma State now in Fieldhouse last night, 83-54, to nearly yeah. a 30-point victory, and... I mean, to do that without Kevin McCuller was was pretty impressive. So I, I don't know. We're we're gonna get to our KU basketball takeaways here. I, I guess starting things off with biggest positives from the game. That has to be one of them. The fact that you yeah. were able to get a blowout win without one of your guys when you're not a very deep team. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, when it was kind of announced basically right before tip off, essentially that Kevin McCuller was not gonna play or was going to be very, very limited. He ended up not playing at all. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would assume that there was probably a little bit of some nervous thoughts from a lot of KU fans of, okay, you're already a team that only has nine scholarship players. You're a team that has really not had any production from your bench, and now you're losing one of your top scorers and one of your top leaders. Understandably, it's at home against a pretty bad Oklahoma State team, but still, that's that's that, that was cause for concern, I think. And for KU to come out and respond in the way that they did, uh, I think was very, very impressive. I wonder, really, when KU determined that they weren't going to play Kevin McCuller in this game. Because uh, I, I get the sense, maybe, from the way that the KU played, that they maybe expected or knew that Kevin was not going to play, possibly, basically, a lot sooner than everybody else did, right? Which is right before tip. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, really impressive performance all around. And it was a game where, without Kevin McCuller, you got double-digit scoring from all five of your starters. And, uh, listen, I mean, the reality situation is, Oklahoma State, I mean, those boys are terrible. I mean, they stink. They are horrible. I said it I, I I actually I think I tweeted it after the after the loss that Oklahoma State took to Kansas in Stillwater that the the Mike Boynton era of Oklahoma State is is like done. And yeah. if it wasn't done then, it's gotta be done here soon. I mean, I understand they got a win against West Virginia, but they're one in seven in conference. Like at most they, they win two more games. Yes, yeah, they look play. completely uninspired. Bryce Thompson is now hurt. Who knows how long he's gonna be out for? I mean, uh, yeah, I don't see this team winning more than a couple two like you said, one or two more conference games the rest of the season. And I don't know how you keep Mike Boynton around after that. And I like Mike Boynton, right? I mean, he's a he's an up and young up and coming young coach. There's probably some Oklahoma State fans out there that feel as though his tenure at in Stillwater was kind of derailed by the whole investigation and then ultimately getting banned from the tournament. Uh, but yeah, it just it just I mean, how you got to make a change, right? It's it's not going well for them. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but still a big positive for Kansas to come out and play the way that they did without Kevin McCuller, certainly. Uh, biggest positives, uh, the defense. I mean, you, you held them to, to 54 points. Yeah, 29% from the floor for Oklahoma yeah. State. 31% on twos, which that is incredible defense there. And, I mean, we've had all this conversation, three-point defense this, three-point defense that. Okay, well, I think you got a bit of the, the luck reversion back your way a little bit. Yeah. Combination of some stuff. They ended up only 8 of 29 for three. And that even, they even had a couple threes where it was like, that was good defense. Like, the, a couple of the ones that John Michael Wright hit, it was like, you just tip your cap, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that was at 27.6% from three. So, yeah, the defense was really good overall just in terms of uh, stopping shots and everything, um, even though you didn't force a, a ton of turnovers. But you had four blocks in the game. You had seven steals. Uh, you you prevented them from really getting going offensively. Obviously, for them, without Bryce Thompson, 
you know, he's their second best offensive player. He's their their second leading scorer, so that's going to hurt them. But yeah. you also were without one of your best defenders with Kevin McCuller, and yeah. you were still able to do that. So I think that would be a big positive. Um, I think you could say that, I don't know. Okay, this is interesting. We could have a conversation of if this should be a neutral or if this should be a positive. Okay. would be the play of the bench guys. And when I say the bench guys, I'm also including on Marco Jackson. I know he okay. started in the game, but... When Kevin's back, he is a bench guy. So, like, in this game without Kevin, you got extended run, you got extended playing time. And I think you could make the argument because I think on its face, the bench was a neutral. You were outscored bench points. I think it was 18 to 17 or 19 to 18. So, it was basically even between the two sides of the bench. Um, You had some positives to come out of it. Like, Marco Jackson was... Two of two from three-point range. He scored 10 points. Nick Timberlake had seven points, six rebounds, two assists. Parker Brown had six rebounds, uh, an assist. And uh, Jamar McDowell looked good off the bench. Uh, even the walk-ons got involved and, and did some things. You had the Michael Jankovic play, the yeah. Wilder Ever, or Evers play. Um, you had positives from the bench. You still sure. did have negatives, though, like... For instance, Marco Jackson went just two of six on two-point shots. He had two turnovers, including the one where he threw it into a triple team to Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, that was a bad one. Uh, he had Bill a bad Self, foul, too, also, yeah, he like, did. right after that. Yeah, Bill Self also mentioned that he didn't have a good like defensive game. Uh, Nick Timberlake had just—he was one of five from three, two of eight from the floor. He missed a bunch of wide-open shots. Parker Brown, even though he had the six rebounds, had zero points and three turnovers. So, like— you could say, I think in, in its own, the bench guys had about a neutral game. But the reason I could argue that it is a positive is because a neutral game from the bench positive. is a positive given what this Kansas team is and given where the bench has been. Because yeah. the, the bench has been a negative, so to get up to a neutral is a positive plus. And, and because Kansas has you know one of the best starting fives in the entire country— if your bench can just be a neutral, yeah. that's enough. Yeah, no, the bench does not have to go out and, and you know, go be great or anything like that. They just have to maintain for however much time that the starters may need some rest. And yeah, I, I mean, I was looking at our Marco Jackson. I, I was thinking about throwing him into the into the uh, positives here for, for KU because 10 points in the game in 26 minutes, hit a couple threes. Yeah, he still had a couple bad plays, but... But overall, I thought he was a positive because, I mean, we've talked about it. I mean, since moving to the bench, he's averaging like 15, 16 minutes per game, and it's been like one point per game, like an assist per game maybe, mm-hmm. a rebound, and usually coupled with a couple bad either fouls or turnovers. So I think overall, when you consider kind of the baseline of where he's been recently, this was a pretty big positive game for him, right? I mean, he stepped up into a starting role and and, and I thought filled it really pretty well overall. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was willing to throw him in the positive. Yeah, I mean Timberlake, man, dude, I feel so bad for him. You know, he's he's getting. He, I mean, he had some wide open looks in this game that were just not going down, uh, which is just it's it's tough to see, right? You feel bad for him because you want to see some of those shots fall, and you can tell that the crowd obviously wants to get into it too. They want to, you know, go crazy when he hits one, but it's just not happening for him. Uh, I I want to throw Dewan Harris into the positives as well. He had another really, really solid game. We heard from him yesterday, actually, uh, when he met with the media uh, ahead of this game that, you know, he hasn't really had a good game. He doesn't really feel like he's necessarily had a good game since Kentucky, right? Uh, this this was a pretty good game for him. 5-9 from the floor. He hit. He was 2-3 of three from 3. Uh, you know, hit a 3 to start the game, right? And I thought that really set the tone early mm-hmm. uh, with that 3 that he hit to start the game. 12 points, 7 assists. Again, another Just stat line. Yeah, another stat line that I think you'd be really happy with if you could see him do that consistently, right? Hit, let's 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 see it, Dewan. Hit two threes, 
12 points, 7 assists, 1 turnover, couple steals, or I guess only like one steal, one steal, couple rebounds. Like, that's a really, really quality night from him. And again, I think if you're going to get upset and if you're going to focus on Dewan Harris when the offense is struggling, then you need to say, okay, Dewan had a good game and and really, really contributed to the offense and helped the offense run. You need to be, you need to be able to give him his flowers when he does perform well, and I think this was another really quality game from him. Yeah, and for me, it's back-to-back with the Iowa State, so... Uh, you feel like maybe it's trending in the right direction there, yeah. right? Yeah, and then we haven't even talked about KJ Adams yet. I mean, KJ Adams, yeah. 7 for 7 from the floor, 16 points. I mean, he really, really stepped up and, and sort of, I guess, filled that scoring void from mm-hmm. Kevin McCullough, really, in this game. He was outstanding. Six assists also from KJ Adams in the game. Also two uh, steals and a block. Yeah, so he he also had a really, really great game as well uh, for KU and really filled that, that void left by Kevin McCullough scoring-wise very well. All right, what are the biggest negatives of the game? Yeah, I kind of touched on it. I think Nick Timberlake, you have to put him in the negative category here. I mean, one of five from three. Again, this is a guy that you really brought in to be a sharpshooter, and it hasn't worked out for him yet. But, uh, gosh, man, with some of those wide-open looks that he had in this game, you just really feel bad, and that's that's – I, I, again, I, it's yeah, so it's, tough because I don't want to. I don't want to sit here and say, "Well, you just have to punt on Nick Timberlake and say it's never going to happen for him." Because I, I think there is still a chance that it could. But we're into February at this point. Sure. Like, or we're getting, we're you know, we're about to be into February at this point. So it's, it's tough because he he's clearly not a guy that you can rely on to hit threes at this point. And it's just so frustrating because we've, I mean, as we've highlighted, this is a dude that was forty percent plus from three for multiple seasons yeah, at Towson before very high volume before coming to KU. So it's not like it was a situation where he had one really strong shooting season and then maybe that was a bit of a fluke season. Like, no, this is a guy that was a proven shooter, and it's just not happening right now, which is I'm sure very very frustrating for him, and I'm sure the coaching staff is trying to 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 help him out as any way they can. But, but gosh, man, I just don't know how you don't put that in a negative here. He's at 35% from the floor, 26.9% from three. The the big thing here, free throw percentage even, is at 69%. I know it's not high volume, but the last three years he's been above 80%. That, to me, tells me that it's all mental. And we look at the one game where, like, Johnny Furphy was out against the Yale game where he got more minutes, he was more comfortable out there. I, I think a lot of it is mental for him that he's overthinking that when he misses a three, he knows in the back of his head, you know, he's going to get the quick hook, right? Could be, yeah, um, could be. And I guess he's not really even wrong in, in thinking that, but yeah, you're right. And he I finished the game with six rebounds. <laughs> so, yeah. I, mean, yet, I mean, again, he's, 24 minutes. I, I, I continue to kind of praise him for this in the sense of outwardly, he seems to be very positive with mm-hmm. his body, with his body language. Uh, it's clear that he's still trying to do the other things well, not just focusing on the three point shooting, but it's just it's just not clicking. Yeah, and and I guess you you hit a point at some point where if El Marco Jackson keeps playing like that. Then you probably start saying, "Okay, we're going to trim this down rotation. We're just going to be El Marco, not Timberlake." But the thing is, because El Marco hasn't done that consistently, you still do need to give Timberlake tries, and it doesn't hurt to continue to give Nick Timberlake, you know, small tries here and there. Yeah. I think the hope is that, to a much lesser degree, he can be a Remy Martin, Malik Newman type guy, just in terms of the breakout in March. Now, it's it's a much smaller degree where those guys were playing, you know, 20, 25, 30 minutes a night and able to get you 20, 25 points in the game. I think with Timberlake, it would be a light version of that where it would be, hey, you feel comfortable playing him 10 to 15 minutes and he can hit two threes for you in a game off the bench in an NCAA tournament game. But that would be kind of the ideal scenario. But, yeah, yeah. it just hasn't kind of come together so far this season for KU. And um, it definitely makes you wonder, like, you know, going back to the offseason, because they, they obviously have limited roster spots, like, if you don't get Timberlake, are you getting somebody else who would have had a bigger impact at this point in Could time, be. right? Yeah, I mean, and that's the real issue. And we, we've kind of highlighted this as well is 
with Nick Timberlake, regardless of how he's playing, you kind of have to give him minutes just by virtue of the fact that you have nine scholarship players. Like mm-hmm. he's like like same boat with El Marco Jackson. Like those are guys that they're just simply going to have to play at least a small number of minutes just just because of, by the nature of you don't really have any other bodies out there uh, that 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 you can step in and, and and have that role. You know, you have the you have the scholarship production that KU's taking. Plus, you end up kicking a guy off the team, obviously, before the season starts with Arterio Morris, and so, yeah, you know, you're down a situation where those guys, those those guys, Timberlake, Marco, regardless of kind of where they're at playing wise, they they basically have to get X the number of yeah. minutes per night because you need to have somebody you can come off the bench to to make sure that you're not playing guys like Dewan and Kevin and KJ. I mean, listen, Kevin, you know, we we talked about it. Kevin's a guy that has had injuries every year of his career. Yeah, every year of his career, he's had a bit, he's been dealing with something, and obviously now he's got this this knee bruise, which Hopefully, should be good by Saturday, but but yeah, those, those guys have to play regardless. Yeah, uh, I will mention one other for negative. It would just be the injuries. Kevin dealing with an injury. We'll see yeah. how that affects him moving forward. Hunter went down at one point, right? Guys are getting starting to get beat up a little bit, which is problematic yeah. for a team who's not very deep. Uh, biggest neutral of the game. I, I think there's two that stick out to me. It's rebounding, which is basically even. Uh, turnovers were even, ten to ten. Yeah, I think with turnovers, uh, I almost wanted to throw that negative a little bit because. This is another game for Kansas where the turnover numbers were even or comparable, but again, Oklahoma State actually scored more points off those turnovers by Kansas. So Kansas's turnovers are still leading to more, you know, touchdown with the Iowa State game where the turnovers were very close in terms of just the turnover numbers by themselves, but Iowa State was able to get mm-hmm. six more points off turnovers in a game where you lost by four points, right? So I, I don't, I didn't want to put a negative because at the end of the day, you had ten turnovers by Kansas, ten by uh, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State only got three more points off turnovers than Kansas did. It was twelve to nine in points off turnovers, so still pretty close. Uh, and then also you, you look at the the, the glass. Kansas out rebounded Oklahoma State by eleven, but they got out rebounded on the offensive end on the offensive glass. Oklahoma State had four more offensive rebounds than Kansas. Yeah, so and, there's and still there's still areas there and room for improvement for Kansas. If you go by spots. rate though, because they missed so many more shots, they had twenty percent of their offensive misses. Kansas was at nineteen point two. Yeah. Yeah, That's why so I neutral. Still, yeah, still pretty close. I'd probably throw that in neutral as well. So. For sure. Uh, play of the game. I, I liked the Dewan Harris behind back or behind the uh, half court line to KJ Adams. Yeah. I mean, what about? Uh, yeah, yeah, the one where it looked like he was maybe trying to shoot, but it was just a pass straight to yes. KJ. Yeah. And KJ basically threw it into the rim. <laughs> that was yeah. a fun one. You got the Wilder Evers play at the end. Yes, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, the Jank three. Jank three. Obviously. That's Jank always three. A, a good that's one. That's always a good one. You know, people always get excited for walk on threes. Uh, Jamari McDowell and one. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a great flex play. in front of the camera. That was a great play. He got the defender on his back, and I mean Oklahoma State at that point they had already thrown in the towel. I mean, mm-hmm. this was a, this this was a game where I was thinking throw in the damn towel. <laughs> I mean, you know, they probably could have stopped playing it you know, halftime or 30 minutes into the game, and mm. it, no, I don't think anybody would have been too upset. By the way, I am fully on board that, like, Jamari McDowell is going to be a guy in a year or two. I think he could be, yeah. I think, but the, So the, the issue you, you get to is we've kind of touched on this thought process of you basically have to go into an offseason expecting guys to transfer out. Jamari McDowell and Marco Jackson, those are two guys that you would look at and say, would it shock you if, if one or both of those guys considered transferring or decided to transfer? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we'll see with KU's NIL ability if they can have player retention. But and you know, I wonder. I don't know. I I don't know if Bill Self would explicitly say this to guys. But you have to wonder in the back of your mind if you're Bill Self sitting there thinking, man, you know, talking to some of these players that want to transfer out. Just look at other players that have transferred out of Kansas and and kind of what's happened to them. 
right? Yeah. We, you've seen guys that have that have transferred and thought they were going to greener pastures and it hasn't worked out for them. Now again, I don't I don't know that I would explicitly say that to a player <laughs> like, hey, if you transfer out, look what happened to some other guys that have transferred out. But that if I'm Bill Self, I have to be thinking that, right? Because you look around and and obviously from Katie's perspective, you obviously you you root for success for guys that leave the program. You still want to see guys that leave the program have success in other places. But especially like this past season, you've seen guys transfer out that have gone to places and not really had a lot a big impact. Mm-hmm. So All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to some Bill Self audio coming up on the other side. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter, RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.